Hey, we are in the second week in a series on the book of Colossians. If you missed the introduction, you can find that on our website at fogkc.com. Talking about the supremacy of Christ. This is a letter written by Paul to the Colossians about their lives and their worship. We saw that he commended them for their faith, their hope, and their love. The three things that Paul always kind of judges a church by. And he commended them for all three of those things. And he's just gotten through praying for them and kind of reminding them uh, or, or really praying for them of all the things that he wants them to achieve. And now he's going to go into reminding them why uh, they should stay faithful to Christ uh, because of who he is. And so we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And then we're going to just kind of take a look at some of the characteristics that Paul's talking about here. And I want us to really focus on the last one. Because I think it's critical. And I think uh, kind of like we, we talk sometimes how vision leaks. You know, you share your vision with the church and you share where God's going to take us. And it's kind of like putting a water in a bucket with a hole in the bottom. Uh, it just kind of leaks out. If you don't keep talking about it or keep reminding people of it, it just kind of fades away. So we need to keep reminding ourselves of those things. I wonder sometimes if while we may think we know who Jesus is and what he has done for us, I wonder if sometimes that leaks a little bit out of our bucket. I wonder if it just, we get caught up in everything else that we're doing in life and it just begins to fade a little bit out of our minds and our hearts. And so Paul is going to remind the Colossians of that and I want us to be reminded too. So if you want to follow along, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Here's what Paul writes to the Colossians. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Paul here reminds them of several characteristics of Jesus. He wants them to not forget. He wants them to focus on. And we're going to actually talk today about how Jesus is preeminent in this passage. And so let's start with this first characteristic. First he says, Jesus is the image of the Father is the image of this father. Now, uh, I can tell you that if you saw a picture of my father, uh, uh, if you went on my Facebook and sorted through the 10,000 pictures there and found the picture of my father, you would go, oh yeah, I see a similarity. Michael kind of looks like his father. In fact, I'm looking more and more like him in, in old age all the time. And if you spend any time with my daughter, Mandra, you'd see that uh, just after a few minutes, uh, her characteristics, her, the way that she talks, the way that she interacts, her hand motions, all of those things, her facial expressions, very similar to mine. You can see that there's me and her. Now listen, that's not, that's not uncommon. Most of us have some similarities to our parents, uh, whether it's by uh, birth and genes or whether it's by just spending our whole lives with them, it doesn't matter. We have somewhat of a reflection of our parents this is different. He's saying he is the perfect image of God. Jesus said things like, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Wow. That's a bold statement. That's a pretty bold statement. But we see here that Paul supports that. He says Jesus is the absolute perfect spitting image 
of the Father, of God, because he is God. Because he is God. Then he says, a part of that is that he's also the creator. He is the creator. We're going to see some verses here in a minute that talk about this. Uh, But Jesus was uh, right along with God the Father and the Spirit in creation. In fact, if you look at the creation story, uh, there's uh, several places where it talks about we. And they're talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in the creation. Paul also said that he preexisted and he holds the universe together. Now that's that's an amazing thing. First of all, what he's saying is, uh, when Jesus came into the earth, when he was born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus' life didn't start when Mary uh, became pregnant with him. He preexisted in heaven. He preexisted before time. Now, we, we don't have any way to conceptually understand everything, anything outside of time and space. We are limited by linear time thinking. God's not limited by that. We can't think of things in before and after. In fact, anytime I get into a debate with an Armenian or a Calvinist about predestination and all that kind of stuff, I just give up on all of them because I'm just like, listen, we're trying to understand something in the millionth dimension and we can only understand three dimensions. Now, you can't describe or help a stick man who lives in two dimensions understand three dimensions. He'll never get it. Well, folks, we can't understand God who lives in millionth dimensions to somebody who understands life in three dimensions. And so here he's saying, listen, Jesus existed before time. He existed before the creation of the linear process of time. And he holds all things together. Now, in, in high school and college, I was, uh, you know, one of the, uh, uh, you know, I was involved in band and orchestra and choir and drama and all that kind of stuff. I was kind of like king of the nerds, okay? Uh, and so, um, uh, you know, we had our, um, science was not my deal. It just wasn't my thing. About is that Jesus literally holds the universe together. Now, if you look at an atom, and if I explain this wrong, please don't write it on your connection card. Just, you know, forgive me, Okay. If you look at an atom that has protons and neutrons in the nucleus and has electrons that fly around it, right? Now, every other place in the universe where you see a positive and a negative charge, they gravitate towards each other, right? They, they, they pull in towards each other. If you put a positive and a positive together, they repel. So now you have this atom that has all these positive particles in the middle and you have this negative uh, uh, ion, I think, uh, that goes around it all the time. And it never gets closer. How is that possible? Jesus holds the universe together. He keeps the universe from actually imploding upon itself. That's what Paul's saying here. He also says he's the head of the church. Now, I don't want to correct your saying, and I don't want to be a a goofy person about this, but, uh, uh, you know, when when we say things like, hey, that's my church up there, that's fine. But we need to always understand clearly, theologically, this isn't my church. This isn't the pastor's church. It's not even your church. It's God's church. It belongs to him. He's the head. He's the CEO. Uh, He might have some managers that help him manage the ins and outs of the daily operation of it. He might empower us to do some of the spiritual things in it. But the reality is, This church belongs to him. And hopefully, by God's grace and mercy, it will be here ministering to this community long after all of us are dead and gone. 
he also says that Jesus is the reconciler. Jesus is reconciling the world and the people in it to himself, one way or another. He is in the process of drawing people to him. You know, there is a um, a theology that's kind of going around that uh, it's kind of taking root in our culture, uh, that it's it's Christians' responsibility uh, to reconcile the planet. It's It's our job to save the planet. Now listen, I... You come to my house any Monday morning, I take out the, the whole, uh, uh, what do you call the thing, the blue bucket back there? Thank you. The recycle bin, I carry out the recycle bin with all the Diet Pepsi cans in it, and I set it out there by the side of the road. I recycle, okay? I'm, I'm a responsible person. But if you believe that it's really up to you and I to save a dying planet, that seems a little bit egotistical, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem like it's a little bit, I mean, it's a little above my pay grade, really. Uh, Listen, God is doing what he wants to do. And by the way, the world is not getting better. It is slowing down. It is spinning down to a time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We don't have time to get into that today, but it's in your scripture. Finally, we see that Paul's saying, Jesus is preeminent. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about this because I think this is the thing where we, uh, if we do get it, it slips away from us. If we do fully comprehend it and understand it, it begins to uh, uh, dribble out of the bucket a little bit and we begin to live life around us and forget that Jesus is really preeminent. So I want to go back and just reread this passage, Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to see every one of these things that's in that passage. Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We see there that phrase, make preeminent. Uh, We want to talk about Jesus being preeminent, and not only in the universe, because he is, but what does it mean for him to be preeminent in our lives? What does the word preeminent even mean? Here's what it means. Preeminence is the fact of surpassing others, being superior. It's the idea of being both first in order and best in value. Okay? So Jesus is not only first, he's the best. He's first and best. He's not just first, and he's not just best. He's first and best. And I think we'll see maybe how this should live out in our lives before the morning is over. It's this idea. By the way, there are a few things that Christ either can't or won't do. I don't know if you think about this ever. But there are some things that Christ either can't do or won't do. One of them is he's never surprised or he never thinks of something for the first time. He never goes, oh, hey, I just thought of something. This would be a really good idea. See, he knows everything. 
So he's never got a new idea. He's never surprised by something. He doesn't see us do something and go, well, look at that. I can't even, I can't believe, that's amazing. Doesn't ever do that, okay? So God's never shocked about anything that happens. He also can't change. He's immutable. He cannot change. The scripture says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Never in any, in any time, in time or space, has anything about God or his purpose changed. He can't and he won't overlook sin. Now, it doesn't mean he won't forgive sin, but God never has the attitude of, ah, don't worry about it, buddy, it's no biggie. Oh, you did that thing? Nah, don't worry about it, it's no big thing. Never feels that way. It's a big thing. It's always a big thing. Now, he's ready and willing to forgive us, but it's always a big deal. And folks, there's one thing that he will not be, he will not do, and that is be number two. That's worth writing down. I know there's not a spot or a blank for it, but write it down. God won't be number two. He just won't, folks. So let's talk for the rest of the morning about God being preeminent in our lives. And here's why it should take place. And that is because first, God is first. God is first. He's first in the universe in every single way. Look at Genesis 1.1, the very beginning of the Bible. Scriptures say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the very beginning, God already was. Before he began to create anything, he was. He's always been first. He always will be first. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Then if you skip down to verse 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Again, this idea that Jesus is a perfect a reflection of who God is. You see, folks, God is first in everything. His son, Jesus Christ, is first. And nothing can change that. And he won't allow himself to be number two, even in our lives. Why is he number one? Well, one of the reasons is because he went first. God not only is first, he went first. God is the great initiator. God is the great initiator. Look what it says in Romans 5.8. The Bible says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were spitting on Jesus while we were punching him, while we were doing our sin, while we were living for ourselves and doing what we wanted, how we wanted, when we wanted. In the midst of all that, Christ chose to die for us. Wow. He chose to pay the price for our sinfulness on the cross while we were in the process of spitting on him. God is the great initiator. He initiated love for us. Look what it says in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Now, it doesn't actually say this in the verse, but it implies the fact that if God never loved us, I don't know that we would be able to experience that. It says we love because he loved us. 
Therefore, logically, it makes sense that if he had not loved us, we may not be able to experience love. Folks, he initiated all of this. And of course, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, folks, we respond to him. He doesn't respond to us. He initiated everything. He loved us, and so he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. All we have to do is respond to him. We sometimes get the idea that somehow uh, this is our story that's going on around us. It's not our story. You don't have a story. This is his story. We're just getting to take a little bit of a part of it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, his story. History is his story. It's a good way to remember it. Okay? This is not like, hey, here's my universe, here's my story, and here's how I invited God to be a part of my thing. You don't have a thing. We don't have a thing. Okay? God's got a thing going on, and he invites us to be a part of his thing. But we don't have a thing outside of him. He's the one who initiated. And according to this scripture in John 3, God loves us so much that he let his son die for us. Talk about being the great initiator. He initiated the death of his own son to pay for our sins so that we could be connected to him and so that we could experience life eternal with him. God is first because God went first. That's just how it is, folks. But we have the opportunity to know him because he reached out to us. If God hadn't reached out to us through his son, I don't know that we would know him. So how do we respond? How do we, how do we respond to a God who is preeminent because he is first and because he went first? Well, we should put him first in our lives. Therefore, we should put God first. Take a look at the very first commandment, the first law that God gave mankind. Look at this law in Exodus chapter 20. Look at the essence of it, what it says in verse 2 and 3. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Wow. How many of us break this commandment on a consistent basis, letting something besides God, something or someone, be at the center of our motivation instead of him? You see, God is first, and he wants to be first, and we should let him be first in our lives. And then Matthew 6.33, Jesus is teaching uh, about finances. He's teaching about those who are worried. And really, I would tell you that probably he's teaching more about worry than he is finance. But he's saying there's people that are just worried about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear, how, how they're going to be taken care of, what's going to happen. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Folks, what he's saying there is put me first. Put me first. Put me at the center of everything, and I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. Now, let me give you a great example of that. Uh, when I give these examples, I hope you know that I don't ever think that Julie and I are perfect people. We are not, uh, I'm not a perfect pastor. Okay? We're as messed up as you are. All right? Uh, but but a, a couple of weeks ago, 
um, uh, our air conditioner, we turned on our air conditioner, and it didn't work very well, which it's had a leak in it for several years, so we always call them, they come and they, they charge it up, and um, uh, you know, it costs a few hundred dollars, and we get it charged up and it runs all summer. So we did that this year, paid $700 for them to charge it up. The next day, the compressor goes out. Uh, that's frustrating, really frustrating. I said, okay, God, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you, but I got to know what you're doing here. And, and Julie and I, um, uh, we don't, I know you think pastors have like big sacks of money that we just roll through all the time. Uh, we don't do anything like that. So I said to Julie, I said, hey, you know, we may have to wait for a couple of paychecks to come through before we can pay to have another air conditioner. So I put a thing on the city and I said, hey, if anybody knows anybody who, who knows about these kind of things, come and check it out for me because I want to make sure that we, it's really dead. So somebody in the church said, hey, I know a guy who's an HVAC guy and I'm going to send him over. He came over. He took a lot and he goes, yeah, bad news. It's shot. You're done. He said, how old is it? I said, it's 21 years old. We built the house 21 years ago and uh, it's original to the home. He goes, that's too bad. It's, it's, it's done. He goes, probably like one so, uh, winter away from your furnace being done too. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse. So I, I said, okay, well, we're just going to have to wait and just see what God does. Now, Julie and I, uh, again, we're not perfect people. We try very hard to be generous. We, we give to this church faithfully, and, and, and when anybody asks, I'm willing to show you our giving record. We teach people here to, to tithe, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute, uh, and we do that. And, so, and, we, and we give above that at times. And, so, um, and, and we've committed to three years of giving above that. Uh, and I'm not saying that the, I'm just saying, folks, we're trying really hard. We're trying really hard as a couple and, and as a family, empty nesters, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I don't know what happened. I don't know who talked to who. If you were, took a part in this, folks, I want you to know how much we really, really, really appreciate, appreciate you very much. But I got a, a text message that said, hey, by the way, some people in the church uh, talked to this guy who came over to look at your stuff. He's going to put it in for free, and he's going to give it to us at cost. And we've, we've, written, we've raised money from a couple of families, and we're just going to pay for it to give you a new furnace and a new air conditioner. Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing. Now, folks, in my whole life, I have never gotten a blank check that says, fill in the amount you want, assign God. Never gotten one. Doesn't work that way. But what does work is when you seek first God's kingdom, he just takes care of you. We didn't ask anybody to do anything for us. We didn't mope around and come to church going, yeah, I guess we've got to spend all afternoon at the mall because it's air-conditioned, it's too hot at our house. We didn't do any of that kind of stuff. Okay, we didn't mope around. Or it, people just knew about it, and they ministered to us. Now, I want to tell you something. If you're one of those that, because you love us and you care about us and you minister to us, and I think that's part of it, but really, I want you to know you're part of God's plan. This is how God works. There's this big matrix, how he's working in all of our lives at the same time, helping us to minister to one, one another. Listen, we got on, we're on the receiving in this time. We've been on the giving in several times. And see, when you're part of a community and you're doing what it says here, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God just takes care of you, folks. But you have to seek him first. That's the key part. So we should put God first. We should put God first. And then lastly, we bring to God our first and best because God first loved us by giving us his best. You know, we get this idea of tithing 10% because that's what the actual word means and it comes from the Old Testament, all that kind of stuff. But listen, the key understanding of tithing in the Old Testament is not a numerical value. It's the idea and the motivation that God gets your first and your best. 
Look at Genesis chapter 4. It goes back clear to Genesis chapter 4 in verses 1 through 4. Look at this. Now, I'm getting wound up because I get excited about this, all right? Look what this says. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Cain's offering was rejected by God because it was something, but it wasn't his first and best. In this passage, Abel's offering was pleasing to God because it was the first and the best. Look what it says. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions the best. He brought his first and his best and gave it to God, and God loved it. Why? Why why is it better to give God first and best instead of something? Here's why. We don't have any numbers to this, so I'm just gonna, I'm making that part up, okay? But let's say Cain had 10 bushels of peas and 10 bushels of carrots. And he said, you know what? My family can barely eat nine, so I'm gonna give one bushel to God. He's gonna bring a bushel of, of peas and carrots and put it here at the front and say, this is yours, God. He's given God something he doesn't, he's even gonna use anyway. It's the leftovers. It's the leftovers. It's like, coming to church and spending money this week. But Abel gives his firstborn. Why is that important? Here's why, folks. Because when Cain brings something, he already knows that he's going to be taken care of by everything else. It takes no faith. But when you give the first and you give the best, you have no idea what's going to happen. Abel had no idea if every sheep born after that firstborn was going to be deformed, or if it was going to be too small, or if it wasn't going to work out. He had faith in God. I'm going to give this to God, not knowing what the future holds, and not being able to take care of myself, but trusting God. And the Bible said that God basically thumbed his nose at Cain, but he blessed Abel. He said, I bless you. Giving the first and the best requires faith, because you don't know what's going to happen. You're, 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 you're not depending on your bank account to be there in case anything goes wrong in any circumstance. You're counting on God. Giving worse than leftovers, folks, requires nothing but showing up. It doesn't require anything. Now think about how we, we view our life's priorities. And by the way, I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about your talent, your time, everything that you have as a resource. God wants our first and our best. Think about the way that we view uh, priorities. You know, we have a tendency to go, okay, God's first, and then my family, and then my church, and then work, and then, or however you, and you know, it kind of goes down, all right? I, I, I can't make any sense out of this. Whenever you say, well, God's first, and then my family's second, and so when I bring my family to church, what am I doing? Am I pleasing God, or am I having family time, or am I supporting my church, or how does that work? I, I don't even know which priority I'm doing at the time. I can't make sense out of it. So don't think of your life as a list of priorities like this. Think of it more like this. Think of it as Christ in the center of it. He's first. He's preeminent. He gets the first and best of everything. 
so that when I'm uh, participating with my family, I'm doing that because Jesus has asked me to do it. I'm pleasing him by being a good husband and father and grandfather. When I go to work, I'm pleasing him by being a good employee, by working hard, by being an example to other employees, and by sharing the gospel with those around me. You see, this makes a lot more sense to think of our priorities this way. Because Christ can be preeminent in this. He's central to everything. He should be our motivating factor to virtually everything that we do. He's not just the first among a bunch. He's central to everything. To everything, folks. We've got to think about it this way. Now, while there's no tithe, in our culture, people go, oh, I tithe my time, I tithe my talent. I, you come and bring 10% of your talent? How do you do that? I don't, you know. So that's not even, but let's just see how this idea of getting, giving our first and best might affect our summer calendar, okay? I want to do this for you because I want you to see, we talk about these ideas that are 30,000 feet here, and I want us to really get practical here. And I hope this isn't too small for you to understand, but I want to just help us work through a couple of very quick uh, exercises to understand how it works out in real life to make Christ the first and the best of everything, okay? So here's our summer calendar. I don't know if you can see it from there, but this, this is June, and it starts on the 1st. So, so we got vacation planned uh, for the first week of June, which includes both vacations. So we'll probably miss church those first two Sundays. And then Aunt Mary's going to be in town the 13th, 14th, and 15th, and she doesn't go to church, and we don't want to make her feel uncomfortable, so we probably won't come to church that weekend. Uh, and then and Jill, Johnny's got a baseball tournament the 20th, 21st, and 22nd. He's on a pretty good team, and, and if you do really well on Friday and Saturday, you're in the championship uh, uh, part on the 22nd on Sunday. So chances are we'll probably miss that. And then the kids have this sleepover with some neighborhood kids every year, and they're going to do that the last Saturday of June, and they stay up till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, sleep till noon, so the chance of us making it to church on the 29th is probably pretty slim. I guess we'll just tell Pastor Michael we'll see him in July, because June's pretty taken up. Folks, what that really is is a thought process where I say, I'm going to look and see everything else going on, and if I'm not doing anything else, I'll give Jesus my leftovers and come to church. If I can't find anything better to do on Sunday morning, I'll go to church. I won't sleep in, unless I really need it, uh, or unless I've <laughs> got a little cough, uh, but I'll go to church if nothing else is happening. Folks, that's the wrong way to approach life. Jesus is not preeminent in this thought process. The preeminence in the, in the thought process is this. I just go to church every week. Now, I, let's not get weird. You guys should know. Uh, we're not big weird legalists here where, you know, we take attendance, and if you miss two Sundays in, out of eight, we send you a card and tell you, you know, where you've been. We don't do anything goofy like that, all right? Okay, but I come to church because I love coming to church. Before I was ever a pastor, I loved coming to church. Before I ever got paid as a staff member, I loved coming to church. I love being with God's people. I love worshiping him. I love learning about him. I, I love to be around the things that he loves, his people. And that was the priority, and that should be our priority. Now, how do these overlap? So do we just quit doing anything in life? I mean, do we just live for church and God and read the Bible and pray all day? And no, of course not. Here's how it works out in real life. So let's take a look at our vacation. Okay, we had a 10-day vacation planned, but we could come back on Saturday night and be here for church that Sunday. So we're going to miss the first Sunday. We'll make it to the next. And by the way, I go on vacation, 
And when I go on vacation, I don't come to church here because as soon as I walk into the door, I'm not on vacation anymore, all right? So we have to go to another church when we go on vacation. We, when we're on vacation, we get up and we go worship somewhere else in town where they don't know me and they leave me alone, okay? <laughs> so I can have a vacation. All right, look, look, Aunt Mary's coming to town and she's still coming. We're still, we still want her to come. But we're going to tell her, listen, Aunt Mary, we're going to church on Sunday morning. You are welcome to come with us. By the way, we'll buy you lunch afterwards. But if you don't want to go, you can stay home and watch cartoons. That's fine with us. We're going to church. The next week is the baseball tournament. We're going to tell the coach, and by the way, we've lived this. And we're going to tell the coach that we have church on Sunday morning, and our son Zach's not going to make it, or Johnny's not going to, oops, Johnny's not going to make it. Uh, but he's going to be there and play on Friday and Saturday, and if they play in the championship league uh, games on, or tournament on Sunday, he'll be there after church. Now, we may come to the early service and hightail it to leave someone as fast as we can to get there for whatever time the game is going to start, but we're not missing church for him to play ball. And then we're going to move the kids' sleep over to Friday night instead of Saturday night so they can either stay up as late as they want to, sleep as late as they want to, or... We'll keep it on Saturday night, make sure they're all in bed by 10 o'clock so we can get them all up and not only bring our kids, but the neighborhood kids to church with us on Sunday. See, folks, you can still live life and make Christ the preeminent center of your life. There are ways to do that in real life. Think about it this way. We look at our household budget sometimes. Well, here's my budget. Here's the wrong way to look at it. Here's my mortgage. Here's my other bills. I can't really change those much. Uh, We went through Financial Peace University, so we're trying to get rid of our debt as quickly as possible. We're paying that down at 14% uh, of our our income. We spend about 10% just kind of spending money, you know, fast food, uh, coffee, soda, whatever. And then we're giving uh, 1% to kingdom giving because that's what we have left. After we do everything else, that's what we have left. That's a Cain gift. That's a Cain way of living life and giving, folks. And God says, no thanks. Here's the able way to give. Listen, we're, we're, and there's, don't look at the numbers. Don't look at the numbers. Look at the process, okay? We, we've prayed about it. We, we've, we've talked about it. We just believe that we can give 11% of our income So we're going to start with that. Then we're going to pay our mortgage and our other bills. And we're going to continue to retire our debt, but not quite as fast. You see, sometimes uh, Satan's really good to be off track. He gives us something good to do to get us off track. Because we'll do something good that's not first. And so we're going we're gonna to retire our debt at 8%, and we're going to have to cut our spending money to 6%. We're just going to have to do that because we really believe that God wants us to do this. Folks, that's the right way of thinking. Forget the numbers. It's the right process of saying God is first. We decide first what he gets, what we're going to do for him, how we're going to grow in our generosity, and everything else falls in line under that. Folks, I I share this with you. Not, listen, not because I, I want you to give more money to the church, not because I want you to sign up and serve more, not because, and there's no motive like that. I'm doing this uh, because it's part of of discipling people. It's part of you experiencing God's blessing in your life by making him preeminent, by making him first and best in every area of your life. I'm telling you, it is a blessing for you, not me. And that child, it'll be a blessing to them. They're not blessed right now, but they will be. Folks, I, I share this with you because, I, listen, 
Paul is telling these folks, listen, folks, make Jesus preeminent. He's already preeminent in the universe. He's already first best in the universe. Nothing will ever change that. Give him first and best of everything you have and are because he deserves it. God has sent his son Jesus to die a brutal death on the cross to pay for our sins. How will I ever repay him? Is there, is there a percentage of what? I could give him every dime I earn. I could give him every moment of time. I could give him everything of everything for the rest of my life and still die indebted to him. I, I want you to put him first and best in your life so that you will be blessed and so that you will live this life that he wants you to live. We should understand that every time we respond to Jesus with our money or our time or our talent or our abilities or whatever resource we have, we're communicating just how important he is to us. And we're also communicating our understanding of the gospel. Because when we give him our leftovers, when we give him the least and the last, really what we're saying is, thanks for dying on the cross, Jesus. Not that big a deal. We not, may not be intending to communicate that, but that's really what we're communicating. When we understand that God gave his first and his best to by giving him our first and our best, I want you to grow in this area. I want us to grow in this area. I'm, I have felt uh, incredibly convicted this week as I've studied this and read this over and over and over. How can I better make Christ preeminent in every area of my life? Don't just ask Jesus to save you, folks. Make him preeminent, offering him your first and your best of everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your patience. Thank you for being patient with me for the times that I have given you my leftovers, for the times I have given you my least and my last. God, help us all to grow, to make you preeminent in our lives, for you deserve that. You have given us so much. You have done so much for us. Help us to put our sins behind us. Help us to uh, be grateful and thankful and help us to respond by really making you the center of our lives, the motivation in everything we do in every area of life. God, we pray for your help. We pray for your patience as we grow. And God, help us, help us to make you preeminent in our lives and in this church so that you will be lifted up and you will draw men to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.